Welcome to episode 18 of The Beggar's Cup, your favorite podcast where we discuss fantasy, sci-fi, uh, nerddom, just ignore my dogs in the background, uh, pop culture, anything else like that that we decide to. I am author Nick Langan, once again flying solo for this week's episode, but uh, we'll try and make up for Galen's, the lack of Galen's presence as best we can. Um, before we get into this episode, I have to, of course, thank our sponsor, Plus 5 Charisma. Plus 5 Charisma, where you can get all of your favorite D&D classes and nerdy things on t-shirts or hoodies, comfortable evening wear, perhaps. Head on over to Etsy, check out the Plus 5 Charisma shop, and head over to YouTube and check out Charisma Gaming, where... They have been putting up uh, videos regarding Elden Ring, which we discussed in our last podcast episode about accessibility. Uh, so head over to Plus 5 Charisma, get a t-shirt, they're quality t-shirts, and also uh, you're supporting a great business, you're supporting me, us, here at the Beggar's Cup. And so I know what everyone's thinking. Uh, this episode will be premiering Thursday, March 31st, and... You know, we discuss pop culture sometimes here at the Beggar's Cup, and a few people asked if I was going to discuss Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars, to which I replied, no, I'm not. Uh, We're going to discuss genuine horror today, (laughs) not made-up Hollywood nonsense. In fact, I'm not discussing Hollywood at all, because I'm going to talk about two movies, and uh, both of them were independent films. Both of them in the horror genre. The second one, maybe also a little bit of fantasy. And maybe a general overview of what I think uh, makes good horror and why I generally don't like mainstream horror things. So, get ready for a spooky ride as we discuss two good films. Uh, The first is called Freak. Now, there are many films titled Freak. Uh, This one was made by somebody that I've actually talked to and who I may be working with in the future, Bianca Crespo. A small independent film. It was filmed in 2020 in and around uh, Philadelphia, in that area of Pennsylvania. And it, uh, I got a chance to check it out actually several weeks ago when, when it was released onto Amazon for uh, purchase, which it is now on Amazon, a few other streaming services, I believe. But uh, I wanted to wait and talk about it kind of in conjunction with a a few other things and waited for the opening, and here it is. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and read the premise here that, or the little blurb that we have for the description. Um, It says, Following a harrowing incident in L.A., writer Ava retreats to a remote cabin in the woods of Bucks County to escape. But the longer she stays the more she realizes that her nightmare has only just begun. That's the description, the back of the DVD case, if you will, of Freak. And so, I won't, I'm not going to spoil either of these movies. I'm going to talk about certain things in general terms, so just uh, wax poetical, perhaps. Um, it's a 69-minute movie, so it's relatively, it's pretty short, uh, especially by... Hollywood standards um, I think like your average horror movie you're looking at probably right around 90 minutes uh, and 
it was mostly funded by Kickstarter. From what I could find, the budget was roughly 50000 which anybody who knows about movie terms is really nothing. And there are several people listed for the cast, but really you have a cast of two people. Uh, really you have a cast of two people with two sort of cameo roles, but the two people are the characters of Ava and Jill, played by Amelia Duncombe and Shelby Hightower, respectively. And this is a really interesting movie. Um, I know horror also has several sort of sub-genres. You've got like slashers, serial killer type films. You've got sort of uh, demonic possession type films. You know, monster flicks. You've got giant monster movies, uh, which arguably shouldn't even be in horror. Um, depending on whether you're talking about Pacific Rim, uh, Pacific Rim or um, uh, what was the other one? Cloverfield, right? The Cloverfield movie. Those are sort of vastly different movies in the same sub-genre of the same genre. Um, but this is, I would classify this as psychological horror. And that doesn't mean that there aren't some pretty awesome looking uh, <laughs> uh, special effects sort of grotesque things, especially uh, in the second half of the film. But you're really spending most of your time with the character of Ava. And as the blurb description said, she's a writer, something traumatic happened to her, which you get hints about throughout the film. And she's also clearly struggling with uh, probably multiple addictions, although that isn't expressly told to you either. And so she comes out to this old cabin that is somehow in the family in Bucks County, in the uh, sort of uh, in the woods of Pennsylvania, to get away from it all. Maybe, uh, or at least the excuse maybe, is to also write, get some more writing done, which is uh, a trope in horror that I actually do like. I really enjoy. And this is a common thing. You'll see this, particularly Stephen King, but several other things, or uh, several other authors or, or writers where. Their story involves a writer who then goes out to get away and, you know, horrible things happen to them. And the uh, the other actress, Shelby Hightower, who plays Jill, is, is Ava's uh, best friend. And she is worried about her friend because her friend is acting more and more erratic. So, <clears throat> like I said, pretty cool. Filmed on a budget of 50000 relatively local to where we are in Lancaster County here. And... I liked it because I'm going to have to watch it again. Um, and what I mean is, it really is a psychological horror. It makes you think, and it plays with time and reality, which are things that I really like. I think it can be hard. I don't like horror movies generally, and the reason is not because they bother me, but it's actually the opposite. It's because I find that most of them fail miserably at their mission, uh, at least the mainstream Hollywood movies and so like you know do I want to go watch Halloween Kills no because it's stupid and do uh, you know do I want to watch Nightmare on Elm Street 37 or whatever next one they're going to make no because the idea has been played to death and it's so uh, horror suffers I think even more than superhero movies from that sort of endless reboot and sequel because by the time you get to like the third movie, you're like, okay, you understand the rules, you understand the monster or the bad guy, and even if their powers haven't changed, say in the case of Freddy Krueger, you're familiar with it, and it's that familiarity that destroys the tension 
and takes away from the fear of watching it. Now, I like a good horror movie. Uh, I like several. I'll list a bunch of them that I like at some point here. Um, but I thought that what what was interesting about Freak, aside from the cool thing that it's it's being made independently for a very low budget with a small cast and yet it's still pretty professional, and and actually explores these weird ideas and themes that you would never, almost never get in a mainstream movie because they're independent. They're not beholden to some studio telling them to make it more marketable. So you actually get a really interesting film that asks several questions. And it's one of those movies where a bunch of us could all watch it separately and we'd probably all take away some very different things from the film. But I actually like that. I think that's one of the strengths of art and entertainment is that when you have something that's intelligent, that doesn't pander to the audience, that doesn't answer all the questions for you and expects you to sort of piece things together and create it, what's going, some of what's going on in your head, I think that that is what makes some of the most successful art, particularly when we're dealing with something scary. So most people have heard the tropes of, you know, you don't show the monster till the end of the movie or the TV show, or whatever, um, that's generally a good rule to go by. And the reason is, you, as the viewer, are going to fill in. If the rest of the movie is well done, you're going to fill in what that thing is with these sort of possibilities from your subconscious that are infinitely more terrifying, usually, almost always, than whatever they're actually able to put to screen. So, I think that um, Freak does a really good job of doing that. Also, it... I thought it did a really good job as somebody who's had experience dealing with, with people with mental illness, um, particularly in some severe cases and lab, overlapping into some criminal areas. I thought that it did a really good job of, of capturing her uh, Ava's sort of downward descent into madness. Uh, she's barely holding on at the beginning of the movie, and it's filmed in such a way that I think it really effectively communicates her dis being disoriented but in a way that it, it doesn't take you out of the film but adds to it in my opinion uh when i when i watched it and both the actresses are are pretty good um i don't know that they're either of them are, are like oscar worthy performances but i don't know that that's really what they're going for they really do come off as sort of two friends who bicker and argue but also have just shared memories of growing up and I thought it was a really uh, believable friendship between the two of them in that yeah they're close they're tight but they're sort of just average people they're both kind of even less than average in some ways they're both sort of <laughs> to use a term that I hate problematic but in the way that a lot of people are where they're just sort of skating through life it's not like they have this deep bond. They're not, uh, you know, two former special ops people that have, you know, almost died for each other or whatever. They're just kind of two women, younger women, that have grown up and hit the party scene and then working, and they maybe they got into some stuff that they shouldn't have. And so they like, they care about each other. Uh, but I thought that that was kind of actually very believable because I find that... A lot of times there's either no characterization to sort of friendships or relationships in movies and TV or there's way too much without proper explanation. 
And so, sure, if you've got characters that have been to war together or maybe been cops in, in violent cities together or whatever, superheroes together, depending on what genre, right? It's you, you, don't, you can explain that sort of deep bond and that trust. But a lot of movies, just with average people, I think they, they, they miss the mark of sort of mediocrity. <laughs> the mediocrity of most people's relationships and friendships that <laughs> is the, the truth of the human experience. So I thought that that was actually really well done. And the writing is, is good. The, their discussions in particular seemed very real and believable to me. And uh, as the sort of madness uh, sprawls out around, particularly Ava, and some really strange stuff start to happen, starts to happen, and and you and the character start to think, is this real? Is this not real? Is this wait? I thought this already happened. Um, like I said, I'm gonna have to watch it again, but I have some thoughts as far as what's going on and what they hint at from before and who's who and whatnot. And I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I also, even if something fails, and I'm not saying that Freak fails, because I think it mostly succeeds, but even if something fails, I really respect and appreciate people trying to make films. Uh, And what I mean is, and we've talked about this a couple times on the podcast, is it's not an endless reboot, rehash, some other intellectual property, some kind of popcorn flick sometimes those things are fine but they Bianca Crespo clearly had a vision and a story and some themes that she wanted to explore that are kind of off the beaten path and these guys made the movie and they did it and uh, Santa Mira Studios and I thought that that's I think I should say that that's pretty cool I I think that that's lacking, and that's one of the problems we have with this sort of strange entertainment monopoly where they're always going to cater to the lowest common denominator. They're always going to attempt to use something that's already established, an already established franchise, because they hope that it's a built-in bud, uh, built-in audience, rather, not budget, and that they're going to make back their budget and make a profit. So something like this is cool. Like I said, made for 50000 ish from what I could find on IMDb Pro. And I there, it's still too new to really have any statistics. It didn't have a theatrical release, so uh, I'm not sure how they're calculating the sort of financial success. So I would imagine it would be all through well, whatever deal they got with Amazon and any purchases on Amazon. But uh, if you're into sort of weird horror, I would at least check it out. Uh, try and support more of these independent or quasi-independent films and especially in that genre um, nah, I'm not even going to say that, I'm going to take that back not even especially in that genre, in all genres but I think that horror is a, a genre where you can do something really interesting with a, with a, a very low budget so Freak, which uh, I believe it'll ha- it'll say Freak 2020, even though it was released, it was released on Amazon this year, uh, last month, either last month or the beginning of this month. Um, I would give it a check out. Uh, the second one we wanted to talk about, and I've been holding off on this for a while. Oop, there we go. Knocked over my microphone. Is a movie called The Headhunter, which three separate words, and this one came out in 2018, and. This is a very different movie than Freak in some ways. It's set in a sort of 
quasi-medieval Viking fantasy world. But it's very similar in that this was filmed for a budget of $30,000, which so it's even cheaper if the, the numbers for Freak are accurate. And it really only has one actor. It's got a cast list of three. Uh, Christopher Ryg. Uh, apologies if I pronounced the name wrong. R-Y-G-H. Is, is the main character. He's the father. It's his, he doesn't even have an actual name. And he is really the entire movie. We, uh, his daughter, Cora Kaufman, played by Cora Kaufman, and just listed as daughter, is in a few flashbacks, and then uh, Aisha, or Aisha Ricketts, is listed as uh, a voice of the monster. But I'm going to read the premise of this, too, just uh, for comparison. It says, A medieval warrior's gruesome collection of heads is missing only one, the monster that killed his daughter years ago. So, spoiler alert, his daughter is dead at the beginning of the movie. And the premise is is exactly as it says, and very simple. And this movie also is 72 minutes, so it's a few minutes longer than Freak, but still pretty short compared to Hollywood standards, not even, not even 90 minutes. And uh, this was directed by Jordan Downey and written by Downey and Kevin Stewart. Budget of $30,000, gross profit of $380,000. So, a pretty good profit. And this is one of the reasons that horror movies tend to be lower budget, is that you can make one for lower budget, and then it's going to get a guaranteed play. I'm not sure if The Headhunter also premiered in theaters, and that's a worldwide profit. So, for people that care about that kind of stuff, they often calculate sort of, you know, for a U.S. film, what's the, what's the gross profit? Domestic, and then worldwide but this movie uh, I really liked as well and uh, is much less trippy than Freak so Freak does a lot of things where it's it, you're dealing with a character who's unreliable a, a narrator a main character who's unreliable and so the camera and Freak and the filming is used to communicate that so different cuts different sort of uh splices and different things that they do to to communicate to you how the main character in Freak, Ava, is is dealing with things or or not dealing with things. And the Headhunter is not like that at all. There's no reason to believe that your main character, the father in Headhunt in the Headhunter, is unreliable. He's but but it's what's interesting about the Headhunter is there's not a ton of dialogue, especially in the beginning of Freak, un- until the girls get together. There's almost no dialogue in the entire movie of The Headhunter. There might be like a couple sentences tops, because you're mostly following this guy. And so what becomes really interesting is the camera in Headhunter is used to communicate what is going on. I won't spoil this one either, but it is it communicates that this guy is is basically paid by a local kingdom or castle or something to hunt monsters whenever mon- whenever they get reports of monsters turning up and he goes out with his uh sort of fantasy sort of viking looking leather armor and sword and maybe sometimes a few other weapons and comes back with the head of the monster and mounts that head on the wall and similarly to freak you don't get a lot of 
sort of action horror, if you will. There's not a lot of chase scenes or like fighting the monster on camera because it's not the point of the movie. So in The Headhunter, um, you then find out, as it says, that the monster that killed his daughter years ago is back. And so that's the the driving premise of, of the, especially the second half of the movie, the second and third acts, really. And uh, like I said, different in that the camera and the filming and all that is not used to communicate his mental state per se, but it is just beautifully shot and very eerie. There are some great shots. At one point, he's hunting a monster in these caves, and there's like maybe a half a foot of water in these narrow caves with this sort of overhead light piercing in eerily like moonlight and just shots like that where the tension is built almost entirely by soundtrack or lack of sound and these beautiful shots so again a really cool example of guys um i can't remember the company name that filmed it but this little independent film made for nothing by Hollywood standards, $30,000. It made a decent return, but it just does something really interesting. And I don't know anything about the history of that movie, so I don't, I'm not sure if they had the idea first and then they, they did it, or if they, they had some funding and they were like, what kind of story can we tell? How can we come up with a story that we can tell for this limited budget? I don't know, but... I certainly think that's cool, and again, not something that you would ever see a mainstream studio do, because they, I think they would worry, we gotta show people more monsters, you gotta show the, uh, some of the fights, you know, you gotta show the action, and people aren't gonna, aren't gonna sit through this sort of almost silent character piece, and maybe that's true, I don't know, maybe it's just me and other people that really like films or movies that would sit through something like that. But I don't think so. I think that that would do okay with a decent part of the population. Um, and it's funny because then I'm thinking about this, right, and we get back to what I talked about the last episode, which is the whole idea of accessibility and should every piece of art be, quote-unquote, accessible to everyone? Should everyone be able to enjoy the same stuff? And I don't think that's true, right? Like, I don't read dime store romance novels but there are lots of people that do because they've been around forever and that's fine i don't care that other people like something that i don't like as long as we're not dealing with some kind of crime being committed you know something ethically horrid it's it's fine for us to like different things but i think a decent amount of people if they especially people that like horror movies if they saw either of these movies they would enjoy at least certain parts of, of both of them and so those are my my spoiler-free movie reviews for you. Um, if you're into that sort of thing, you should definitely check check out Freak, check out Headhunter. I believe I, I watched them both on Amazon. The Headhunter might even be free on Amazon, uh, depending on what kind of other subscriptions you have. Um, we have a Star subscription because it gets a lot of good movies, so it might be on there. But check them out. And so I guess I'll segue poorly into... I've kind of touched on some of the problems with, with mainstream horror and Hollywood horror, but I think it's interesting to think about, like, why do people like horror, right? It's, it's, it's the same sort of feeling that you get from uh, a roller coaster or a theme park ride. 
you know, you're paying money to be scared or bothered. And I think the difference and the problems come down to what people view as scary. So the, uh, what was that movie called? The Possession of something or another. Mary Rose, The Exorcism of Mary Rose. I think it's The Exorcism of Mary Rose. Based on this controversial real-life case where a girl was reportedly possessed and then died in the process of the exorcism. That is really good and really unsettling. And there are a few moments that might make you jump, but the focus is not on the jump scare at all. Um, The Babadook is a very good movie that is about a woman and a little kid who are dealing with the loss of the husband and the father. And there is some monster stuff, but the movie is really about the psychological effect of grief. And there's not too many that I can recall sort of jump scares, some cheap scares to jump out at you. It's it's much more about the psychological disturbance of these things manifested in a in a physical way. And I think that that comes down to the difference and the problem, the sort of disconnect that most studios have, big budget studios when they're trying to produce a horror movie is, oh, it has to be the next slasher film. You know, a good slasher film, like the first Scream movie, is not scary just because of the blood and the guts and the killing. It's scary because when you watch that first one, you think, yeah, this could happen. And it's kind of disturbing, like the idea that this could happen, that some twisted people would do this. Um, and a good example sort of, of of how things can change is the f- first Alien movie, Alien, and then the second, Aliens, both of which are really good movies. Uh, and actually, you can see a similar thing with Terminator and Terminator 2. In that, in the first movie, you've got, of, of both franchises, you have one monster. The monster, there's no way that the good guys are going to beat the monster. Almost no way, right? Both the alien and the Terminator walk through the any opposition that they get. And for the most part, in both those movies, uh, the main characters are just people. They're just average people. In the case of Terminator, it's just a group of, of college-age students or young people, young, you know, young adults, except for Kyle Reese, who's still just a guy. He's a, he's a soldier sent back from the future. Spoiler alert for Terminator. And in Alien, uh, Ripley is, is very smart and determined. She's a great example of a strong female character and written and played very well, with the exception of her going to save the cat or later in the movie. But you know that's a little pet peeve of mine. Um, but, um, but she's not a hardened soldier, right? Or a superhero or an ex-commando or anything like that. I mean, she's a, she's a capable, tough woman that's quick on her feet. And so she's able to outsmart her or maneuver and, and get herself away and from the alien. But... You, if you go back and rewatch that first Alien movie, which I did the other week too, 
you don't see the monster that much. And in that case, I know it was because they didn't have a huge budget. They had some budget issues. They had some this and that. And they spent a lot of their budget basically on the alien suit. And they had this very thin, I can't remember the actor's name and I feel bad, but guy in the alien suit. and The animatronics for the head, <coughs> which they could only show so much. And so they really had to build a lot of the suspense elsewhere. And But by the time you get to aliens, it's kind of a different thing. It it feels like uh, in the same universe, but you've got a very different scenario in Aliens. And in that you have all these Marines who are all trained warriors with a whole bunch of firepower. And they're going in knowing that there's probably hostile activity. And so then the, the, the question becomes, you know, they can kill and shoot down one alien, but of course in Aliens there's multiple, hence the Aliens. And it changes the formula and so those are kind of good examples. And similarly in Terminator 2, you've got now, you've got a, a good guy, Terminator, and, a, and the, the bad guy, Terminator. And so there's some leveling of the playing field and there's some other things going on. And it changes really into an, more of an action movie. So I think good horror, the best horror, I should say, if you're talking about a monster flick, it has to have believable tough characters, but they have to be outmatched. And the reason that they have to be believable and tough, at least your your main protagonist has to be a capable human, even if they're not a military person or cop or ninja or whatever, is that we watch the trope of these sort of dumb kids in a horror movie. And it's not scary at all, to, to me at least, because I'm like, I, well, I would never do this. There's There's no emotional connection to those protagonists. You know, if you watch a, a, you know, the typical horror trope where it's a bunch of kids at a cabin in the woods, right? Or cabin for the weekend and they're getting slowly picked off one by one as they do just completely insanely stupid things. Maybe you can still watch that and enjoy it and laugh, but it's not going to bother me because I'm like, no, I wouldn't do this. The first sign of trouble, this you know, we'd be handling it this way. And also, if that wacko with the machete gets in here, yeah, maybe he'll kill me, but I'm going to put up a hell of a fight. But when you watch something like Alien... You don't think that about Ripley. Like, Ripley is a pretty intelligent woman. She knows the ship. She does her job well. She's tough. She's she's able to think quickly. She's able to confront her fear. It's all things that we like to think about ourselves, generally, right? They're all characteristics that we're like, yeah, identify. That's why she's such a great character is because we identify with a lot of those positive traits. And she sort of uses her positive traits to overcome her negative traits. You know, there's the, the, that great scene in, in Alien where she creeps down and she's got the flamethrower and she finds that some of the crew are still alive, sort of encased, waiting to be fed upon or, or waiting to incubate further aliens. It's just totally horrifying. And you, the whole time she's quivering, she's shaking, but she presses forward. But what makes that then frightening is that the monster is still one or two steps ahead of her. So then we think, well... She's not being killed because, or, or people aren't being killed because of their completely stupid mistakes, as in later Alien movies. People are being killed because this thing is so frightening and so beyond us that even your above-average capable crew of space truckers is, is no match for this thing, even with some weapons and whatever. So I think that that is something, too, that both of these indie movies that I started the episode talking about um, 
it d- does. <clears throat> you know, in The Headhunter, you have a guy whose job is literally to hunt monsters. So, and he's got some other things going on that I won't talk about because I said I wouldn't spoil it. But, and so you, you're not, when, when he starts to get in trouble or he makes a mistake, you're not like, oh, this guy's an idiot. I mean, he does this for a living. He's maybe even more hardened than your average horror, good horror protagonist. And in the case of Freak, you get the sense that Ava's pretty intelligent, but she's just totally losing it because she can't handle what she's been through and maybe what she's done. And in that one, it's a little bit different because that's even more of a psychological horror, more than a monster flick. And so, you know, you can be as strong as you want, but this sort of weakness of the mind is something that I think all of us fear on some level or another. The idea of our mind slipping away, the idea of our mind withering. And so you get into that. Um, I think that all of this stuff that I've been rambling about is something that is generally now avoided by big studios, and it's for a variety of reasons. One, um, studios don't give any credit to the audience. We're, they're always catering to the lowest common denominator. And so I think in the Hollywood system, from what I've researched and heard and, and um, just observed, it's very hard to make a movie that's non-traditional, that, that deals with a non-traditional thing. There are certain things, in this, and the problem is when you're talking about movies getting made for hundreds of millions of dollars, the studio does have some amount of control, depending on the agreement, over what goes in there. So if they're like, well, we don't want to have a vulnerable woman character because we feel that that would be uh, a poor reflection of women. Even we we don't want to have this woman character struggle dealing with this uh, you know unstoppable machine because that would that would reflect poorly on women because we all know that every woman would be able to fight a, a Terminator and so we can't have that you know they they cut the tension and it might not even be the director or the writer's fault um, we don't want to showcase uh, a strong capable man handling say a firearm proficiently because we don't want to promote those ideals or maybe we don't want to we don't know how to then we're not smart enough basically to then have the monster sort of get one step ahead of that capable character and so instead we'll settle for these cheap things Uh, the other thing is the jump scare in most horror movies now i think is just a cheap trick and is kind of uh, not kind of it is stupid and and lazy because True horror is the kind of stuff that sticks with you afterwards where you're like, geez, uh, that was really unsettling. I'm going to think about that for a while. That really bothered me. Like the mess, the messages bothered me more than even any sort of supernatural or monster. And again, uh, in this case, particularly with Freak, I think that that does that well. The Headhunter is a little more cut and dry. It's more of a monster flick. But with Freak, it definitely pushes the boundaries of and and sort of leaves certain things that are just unsettling and they don't like I said I love it they don't just explain everything away it leaves some of it to you as a as a viewer and I always love when art does that um so those are my thoughts sort of on on horror in the mainstream uh, and one other thing I've, I've I've kind of mentioned this before we've talked about fantasy a lot in the beggar's cup obviously but well, I don't consider myself a horror writer at all. 
even though monsters and stuff like that feature pretty prevalently in a lot of the stuff that I've written, I do think that uh, I prefer fantasy that has an element of horror. And what I mean is that if you're trying to write a serious fantasy series, even if it's sort of classic medieval-esque high fantasy, there needs to be some horror in there. And the reason that there needs to be some horror in there is because if you think about orcs, say, in, in real life, in a sort of real life where you've got this feudal medieval society, but there are orcs running around, or a feudal medieval society, but there are trolls, right? Those things would be really scary. It's hard for us as humans, I think, to comprehend what a supernatural monster or creature that isn't an animal but isn't human would actually be like to encounter something like that. And we can only kind of do our best to put ourselves in the shoes. But I think that those things would be pretty terrifying, even an orc, right? Because it's sort of like a human, but it's not at all. And it's ugly and hideous and feral in, in a lot of iterations, say like the Tolkien orcs. I mean, they can speak and and communicate and they have some human characteristics, but they are definitely not human. And really, even other races that we view a lot of times as friendly in fantasy would be scary, would be uh, maybe not scary, but weird. You know, you think of the human perspective that, uh, you know, let's say a human lives for a hundred years. Well, in most fantasy, an elf lives for hundreds, if not thousands of years. In Tolkien's world, the elves are immortal, essentially, unless they're killed in battle. And so you would not necessarily be able to have uh, as a as a 30 year old warrior what are you going to have in common with a guy that's been alive for 2000 years I would imagine that they would seem extremely bizarre and also very dispassionate and not empathetic at all because they would view everything as a sort of drop in the bucket you know if a hundred, your lifetime to these other races would be nothing. And so I definitely prefer fantasy that encapsulates all that and those those sort of horror elements. I think um, Gail and I have talked a little bit about you know our preferences on gameplay, role-playing games, and that element of death being present is definitely something that we both enjoy more. And... I think that's a very horror thing because it's it's not a power fantasy then. Even if you're a capable warrior or war wizard or whatever, you end up being frightened that this thing is going to get this monster, this trap, whatever, is going to get the better of you. And I just think that adds a sort of... Um, it adds tension, naturally, and it also it gives it more of a feel of realism, right? Because no matter how good you are, there's always the danger if you're going into a combat situation, particularly with supernatural monsters, that that thing is gonna it's gonna tear you apart. And by keeping that there, I think that helps ground. It's a very easy way to help ground the writing or the movie or whatever in that sort of fantasy genre. So, and you see examples of this even in even in say, uh, well, I should say especially in. Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. I would think the two examples of of the Lord of the Rings movies where you really see this sort of horror 
esque element is ob well three. I'll give you three examples. Obviously the ring wraiths, because uh, the hob to the hobbits especially the the ring wraiths are terrifying. There there's no way that those hobbits are gonna beat those ring wraiths, and even Aragorn fighting them off with fire gets the jump on them on Weathertop and sort of drives them off. But you're not really sure if he could take all of them, and then they pursue you know Arwen as an elf so so the ring race are, are a good example I think another good example in the fellowship of the sort of horror feeling is the minds of Moria because your underground is claustrophobic you know you come across this crypt of all your in Gimli's case all your relatives and they're dead they've been slain there's that great scene with with Ian McKellen as Gandalf reading the last pages of the dwarves journal as they're trying to hold out against the goblin horde and that uh, whole scene is awesome and very horror-inspired. Peter Jackson was a big horror director before he made Lord of the Rings, so that makes sense. And um, what was the third one I was going to give? Oh, uh, and then Shelob in... Uh, well, it's in the book, The Two Towers, but in the movie, it's in The Return of the King. The, the giant spider creature. Definitely horror elements. So, you know, I don't think The Lord of the Rings are horror by any stretch of the imagination, but there is the sense in that universe that the the evil creatures are are frightening and don't behave in human ways and even that the elves in in that world i think tolkien does a pretty good job of communicating how other they are and that scene in um, for example aragorn and arwen's relationship because he's a human and she's an, an elf and so that's a, it's a rare thing. It rarely happens because of the sort of age differences. The elves are so other and sort of uh, angelic, really, in Tolkien's world. So, all right. I think I've rambled on about my thoughts on horror enough. But like I said, if you get a chance, go check out Freak on Amazon Prime. Go check out The Headhunter on Amazon Prime. Both good examples of non-traditional horror movies that I think are really interesting. And also you're supporting artists making art as opposed to you know, huge mega corporation studios that are churning out uh you know schlock um as always go support plus five charisma get your D, &D t-shirts plus the number five and then charismas and uh you can follow us on facebook if you don't already uh, at the beggar's cup we put out new episodes every thursday talking about whatever we feel like usually fantasy pop culture a little sci-fi writing D, D, whatever uh you can follow me at author nick langan um which is on facebook i'm sorry at crowns of hebron is the author page for nick langan i have a patreon as well which is also crowns of hebron and uh, go ahead and check out my books crowns of hebron uh, is available still on amazon and barnes and noble it's a family-friendly comic book miniseries or you can get them all together in sort of a graphic novel format about Saul, David, and Jonathan. And you can check out my first book is Shadow of the Dreamer and Other Oddities, which is uh, a novella and a collection of short stories about two guys that hunt monsters. Sort of a horror comedy, if you will. Um, maybe not exactly horror because they're never really in danger the same way that you would need to for horror. But certainly elements of fairy tale and horror in there. And uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in. And stay posted for some more developments and our episode next Thursday. Thank you.